Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Tim Shiver, the executive director of the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport, about the upcoming French Moderns Monet to Matisse 1850-1950 exhibit, which opens on October 9th. Good morning, Tim. Hi, Carolyn. This show is opening next week after years of behind-the-scenes work by yourself, the Figgy staff, and members of our community. How would you describe the exhibit, and what type of artwork will we find there? It is, uh, it's 60 artworks, and it basically traces the history of art in France from 1850 to 1950. So it starts with the academic artists, and it goes through the Impressionists to the post-Impressionists, like Matisse. Mm -hmm. And it's really about Paris as the center of the art world during that period. And um, it was a very explosive time in art. And, and in the world, really. And so it's it's kind of like a little art history class. Just in terms of seeing how the styles changed so dramatically over that right. century right? within 60 works. So that really is quite a, a special thing for us to be able to to see. And, and there's, there's painting and sculpture. There are paintings and sculpture, mostly paintings. Um, but, you know, almost all the major Impressionist artists, Monet, Cezanne, Degas, Manet, Bert Morisot, Pizarro, Renoir are all included. And then they've included some other lesser-known artists that also came to Paris. Because Paris was like New York was in the you know, 1950s. But in the 19th century, Paris was the center of culture and learning for the whole world. And so it was a magnet for artists like Chagall, for instance, who came from Russia, and Picasso, of course, um, but it was the place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just really mind-boggling for me to think that these the works by these masters are, are right here in right our here community. Right here in River City, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, now, and this show was, was curated um, from the Brooklyn Museum um, in New York, and they have a renowned collection of European art. How did the Brooklyn Museum come to have such an extensive collection of French art? Well, like most museums, it kind of comes in one piece or a few pieces at a time. And, you know, collectors who um, maybe grew up in Brooklyn, um, one of the, the Monet painting was a gift of Mrs. Havemeyer, who she and her husband um, were friends of Mary Cassatt. And they went to Paris, and she introduced them to her friends, Degas, you know, Monet. Um, and they started buying Impressionist paintings before French people were buying Impressionist paintings. And actually, most of their collection is at the Met in New York. But Mrs. Havemeyer was from Brooklyn, and so she gave um, some paintings to Brooklyn. So the Monet, which is a, it's a beautiful seascape, and it's kind of the poster painting for the whole show, was a gift from her. Huh. I know. I didn't know that. I know that's that's featured on the cover of the book, right. which you can purchase at the at, at the, the Figgy, yeah. yeah, the Figgy mm-hmm. shop. Um, so I'm I'm curious about how the Figgy was able to obtain an exhibit of this of this caliber. Tell us how the process of securing this unfolded. Well, 
um, Brooklyn um, put together this exhibition, and they wanted to, sh- to really show the strengths of their collection in that area. And then they decided to travel it. So they uh, put out a prospectus to museums um, to take the show. And um, we actually signed up, gosh, it was at least three years ago, for the show. And it's um, part of the reason that we decided to take it. It's, it's, it's a bigger, more expensive show than we ordinarily would go for. But it was such an amazing opportunity to bring, you know, this just like the whole story of French painting to the Figgy and to the Quad Cities. And usually these kind of shows are totally they don't even offer them to us because we're just too small a market. So, so we kind of we kind of leaped. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot that has to go on. Um, I mean, we're an accredited museum, so that means that our all our processes are meet the standards of the American Alliance of Museums, and we have a facility report that they have to look at about our security and our, you know, HVAC systems and kind of all everything the qualifications of our staff. Um, because you know they, they're not going to lend to just anybody, Carolyn. Right. You know <laughs> why? Well, I should hope not. <laughs> no. So there were a set a list of criteria that the figgy had to meet in order to even be considered. Yeah. As a spot. Sure. As yeah. a spot for this. And there are requirements, um, security requirements for us on and and they actually the you know the paintings, the artworks all travel by air conditioned you know air ride truck there are two trucks that came and they Brooklyn has someone on the trucks when the paintings are in transit and so they they come to us and fortunately the figgy was built for this kind of thing so the truck backs right into the building the paintings never go outside and then they they sit in their crates for a few days and kind of you know, rest up, get over their jet lag. Yeah, they came from Winnipeg, you know, (laughs) so they get over being in Canada for a while. And then Brooklyn sends someone here to supervise the the unpacking of the crates and the hanging of the show. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have to monitor the artworks because artworks change and things can happen in transit. So they have to monitor the artworks at every stop and make sure that nothing, you know, that a painting's not showing some problem or hasn't gotten beat up somehow, mm-hmm. you know, in transit. And there's specific crates that were built just for this purpose, I, I understand. Oh, yeah. You'd yeah. Said, oh, yeah. You'd you said it earlier. Yeah. I, I and can't... so the crates, you know, even the crates have to be stored. Like, we can't just put them out in the garage. You know, they've got to be stored in the same environment that the paintings are in because you can't, you know, you can't have bugs in the crates or anything like that. So that's the purpose of that enormous elevator I'm, I'm exactly. guessing exactly yes in the figgy that's why it's so large yes to bring yes. things like this up yes and also kindergarten classes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it serves a dual purpose yeah. yes yeah. it's <laughs> multifunctional exhibits like this we know are, are you know must be very expensive and you'd mentioned earlier the enormous cost of just transporting the works and as well as the liability um costs and in, in the case of this show a special major uh exhibitions endowment was created to to fund it right that's that's really one of the most amazing things is that when when we booked the show, um, a, a group of supporters of the Figgy um, got together and said, let's let's raise an endowment to, to bring this show here, but also to bring future major exhibitions that, that we just couldn't do with our regular operating budget. And they raised over a million dollars. Um, I think we have 43... Um, families and businesses and individuals who contributed. 
And so it, it's just an amazing outpouring of support. And, and I think the idea that, you know, we have this world-class museum and let's bring these kind of shows here. And part of the idea is that um, there's no additional charge to see the show. They wanted to make it as accessible to everyone as possible. So people that can't go to Chicago or can't go to New York and see this kind of show, they can see it here. And we, and we have lots of free days. We're open free every Thursday night. You know, there's lots and lots of opportunities for everyone to see it. You can go to the library and check out uh, a Figgy membership for the day and come in for free. I had no idea oh, yeah. that you could yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, you know, when you go to big cities, besides paying a fairly high, fairly steep admission fee, there is this extra fee to right. see an exhibit like this. And so right. it really is um, quite an, an incredible story that people in our community have been able to 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 cover that. Um, and so it does allow as many people as, as possible uh, to, to see it. That's that's, yeah. that's really great. You had, you had said early that um, that this was somewhat of a case study in fundraising that um, I think you had said we are worthy of this. And, and that was a really beautiful statement. I, th- I think that's part of the idea is that, that the Quad Cities is you don't have to go somewhere else to, to really have great stuff. And, and also I think um, – of course, Impressionists, everybody loves Impressionists. And so this particular show, I think, you know, kind of as a catalyst was the perfect show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why Now, why do you think the works in the show, and you, you, particularly the works of Impressionists, why do they resonate so much with people? And that's that may be hard to answer. It's hard to, to truly understand that. I've, I've thought about it quite a bit with this show because in a lot of ways, the Impressionists are very traditional in their subject matter. From our perspective, you know, they're painting people out in nature and, you know, landscapes and these still lifes. At the time that they were working, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even considered art. It was considered an outrage that you would paint, you know, with those colors and even those subjects and that you would think that you would be worthy of being shown, you know, in the salon in Paris. But... For us now, we accept it kind of as this golden age of art where it's it's like sunlight and, and green grass and, you know, ladies in white dresses. And it's so it has so much energy and openness that it it's just it appeals more than later artwork, too. It's kind of like I was telling you the other day, it's kind of like music in the 60s. It was it was this blossoming of art that was a rare combination of kind of history and culture coming together. And, um, and of course, Monet, Cezanne, they, you know, they led this revolution. And so that's why they're so famous. Yeah. Sounds like it was this just amazing collision, really, of forces. It was. You know, economic, uh-huh. political, social, uh-huh. um, technological advances that allowed this right. to happen. And there was a lot of conflict at the time. And that's one thing that's interesting is a lot of the paintings seem so happy but, you know, the Franco-Prussian War, you know, the siege of Paris, and then, you know, and then you had World War One, um, and some, you know, the Matisse paintings in the show were painted right at, during the period of World War One, which was, I mean, the French thought it was the end of civilization, yeah. and yet these paintings just radiate warmth and joy and the colors, you know, just glow. So it's funny that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the authors and scholars who will be giving lectures, uh, because you've um, um, amassed quite a, a few great 
um, speakers. And, and one of the two curators for the show from the Brooklyn Museum will be speaking first on Thursday, October 11th. Right. Lisa Small, was she and Rich Asty put the show together at Brooklyn. And so she's coming to talk about kind of, you know, how she chose the, the works for the show and, and what they were thinking when they when they chose it. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think she's a great speaker. Mm-hmm. So. so that's one not to be missed. And it's a Thursday night, so it's that's free. It's a Thursday free. night, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you're following that up on Sunday, October 14th. Dr. Marnie Kessler uh, is, is coming over brunch. Right. Um, and so she is uh, a, a professor of art history at the University of Kansas, and she's going to talk about Paris in the 19th century. She, the capital of the world is what she calls it. And, um, you know, one of the other interesting things is Paris was going through a total reconfiguration under Baron Haussmann during that period where they, where they cut through the old neighborhoods and created the beautiful boulevards that, that we think of as Paris now. And that was also very controversial because he, he tore apart the, the medieval footprint of the city. But she's going to kind of talk about what was going on historically at the time that, that was the underpinning of, of the Impressionist mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. I mean, that's when I think about Paris now, it was so fortuitous, really, that that Baron Haussmann mm-hmm. uh, came along and, and had the foresight mm-hmm. to do that. And they were putting in gas lamps and they had mm-hmm. the sewer system, I understand, and yeah. just really all sorts mm-hmm. of progressive things but at then, that time. Like you think about the Eiffel Tower, which is now probably the most recognized landmark in the world. There was a huge effort to keep them from putting the Eiffel Tower up because everybody thought it was so ugly. <laughs> and they promised that they would take it down right away. <laughs> and it's still there. You know? <laughs> Thank so, goodness. Yeah. Um, now, uh, there are some additional speakers too, uh, Dr. Jonathan Petropoulos and Ross King. Right, right. We we really took advantage of this show to, to bring in some exceptional speakers. And Jonathan Petropoulos has actually been at Augustana before, but he's an expert on Nazi looted art. So he was an advisor to the Monuments Men movie. And he's going to talk about the Jewish uh, art dealers in Paris during that period who were the ones who who were the dealers for all the um, Impressionist painters. So it's a really interesting historical kind of sidelight. That's so fascinating. And it's just really great that you were able to pull these people together. Dr. Jonathan Petropoulos will be speaking on Sunday, October 21st for people who want to hear him. And then uh, there's several dates that Ross King right. is coming to speak. Yes, November 4th and 5th. Mm-hmm. So Ross King is a British author. Um, he's done a number of books about art, Brunelleschi's Dome, about the cathedral in Florence. But he has one called The Judgment of Paris that's about the rise of the Impressionists and specifically about Manet. And um, he's just incredibly knowledgeable but also good at telling a story. And then his most recent book is called Mad Enchantment, about Monet's last water lily paintings and the struggle to get the the nation of France to buy them for, um, it's now the Orangerie by the Louvre is where they're exhibited. Yeah. Well, I want, hope everybody can check online right. to see the schedule of all the, not just lectures, but all the accompanying events. Um, and really, one of the most amazing things to me is the number of collaborating organizations that have really gotten on board with this to bring the experience of all things French to the Quad Cities. It's been great. And I don't know, we just kind of thought, let's just reach out and just ask people if they want to do French stuff. And so we did. And 
the response was amazing. I mean, we started actually a week ago with Ballet Quad Cities, did a French Moderns program at St. Ambrose. And um, the weekend of our members opening for the show, then the symphony's doing a French Moderns concert. But we have stuff going on all over. Um, all the libraries are doing programs, special programs. Um, the... Um, like Pat Bereskin at her gallery is doing um, plein air painting shows. Mm-hmm. Quad City Arts is doing a show inspired by Monet to Matisse. And it's really fun. It's it, just fun. I think it's fun, too. I love seeing everybody on board. And yeah. I understand some restaurants are going to do French-themed We're hoping, um, yeah. uh-huh. meals. And, and uh, so this is really the time to immerse, right. immerse ourselves in, in this. And it, actually, on a serious side, you know, the, the, the idea of exposing people not just to the artwork, but also to the art, to the literature. The Rock Island Library has some great lectures on on the authors of the period and kind of getting a broader view of of that whole period yeah. of time, which was such a, it was a big period in mm-hmm. all the arts. How did you go about coordinating all these different organizations and, and how, how far in advance did your planning begin? Uh, we started a year and a half, two years ago, just asking people, you know, we just kind of put the call out, do you want to do something with this? And um, I think our idea was, if we're going to make the investment to bring this show here, why not make it bigger than the figgy? Mm-hmm. And so everybody just got on board. Yeah, They're great. Well, we're so grateful that you have done that because it, it definitely enhances our experience of just, mm-hmm. you know, of, of living here. I, I think there's been this frenzy of excitement now for <laughs> for at least six months, right. it, it seems like. And and there should be a huge increase in attendance for this show. So that brings some um, some um, issues that you're going to have to deal with at the, at the Figgy. What, what special changes will be made to ensure that the viewer has a great experience? Well, we're actually going to limit the number of people in the gallery at any given time, just so it's not a mob scene. And and of course, we have to protect the artworks. That's kind of that's kind of the first mm-hmm. <laughs> responsibility. So we've um, we're going to kind of change the the way you come into the museum and um, to kind of just try to uh, manage the crowds. We really have no idea how many people will come, so we're hoping lots. And um, we have new gallery hosts who are kind of like a cross between a docent and a security guard, but they'll be moving through the whole museum and helping people find their way. They can answer questions about any of the artworks, um, you know, just help people um, and also kind of, you know, make sure the artworks are all safe. Yeah. Um, so we've we've really tried to be um, as proactive as possible mm-hmm. in, you know, we want if, if we're hoping a lot of people come who maybe haven't been to the Figgy before and we want them to have a good experience and they want we want them to have a quality experience of the artwork too. They don't mm-hmm. that they don't have to like fight people out of the way to look at the Monet, you know. Which happens sometimes. It does happen in, in larger cities. Yeah. So um so I'm just myself happy to hear that that you're that you're taking these steps and and it sounds like these gallery hosts that's that's fairly progressive um i liked your description of a cross between a someone who's kind of keeping an eye out on the safety of the paintings but also they're educated and can help people and right and give them some extra insight right because you know they're they're there to help and it's it's a model that is kind of taking hold in museums across the country yeah have you ever organized something else of this size this, this is really enormous it's a big one and actually I'm glad you asked. We have another exhibition called William L. Hawkins, An Imaginative Geography, 
that is a traveling show that the Figgy organized, and it will be on the fourth floor at the same time as French Moderns on the third floor. Mm-hmm. And it's given us a real insight into the complexities of organizing a show. Um, this show, we brought works from probably 40 different lenders together, and um, and it's traveling to four museums, including the Figgy. So it's a big undertaking. Yeah, so this was this was actually a show organized by you, by by the Figgy itself, when I say you. Yes, we brought Um, in an outside curator, Susan Crawley, who's an expert on self-taught and folk art. And uh, but the logistics were 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 ours. Yeah. yeah, and and it will be a traveling show after right. after it leaves the Figgy, it will move on. It's onward. it opened in Columbus, Ohio. It went to San Diego. It's here now, and it'll go to Columbus, Georgia. Oh, so yeah, great. it's going all across the country. And we have one of our favorite local artists being right. displayed as well, John, John Bloom. Blo- John Bloom, <laughs> yeah. Um, we yeah we had it's called John Bloom Close to Home, and it's a retrospective of. John Bloom, who worked with Grant Wood, but who was also really influenced by the Impressionists. He studied at the Art Institute. And we have everything from his childhood works all the way up through the end of his life. So it's a real, it's just a wonderful, heartwarming, local element to what we're mm-hmm. what we're showing. And how perfect really if we're, you know, expecting a, a, a big surge in attendance, how perfect that people will hopefully take the opportunity as well to see John Bloom's work, right. get him a little bit more exposure as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. Well, Tim Schiffer, thank you so much for talking today. Thank you, Carolyn. Of My course. Pleasure. And I think that I speak for the entire community when I say how grateful we are for the work you've done to make the Quad Cities a more exciting and beautiful place to live. Oh, thank you. The world-class French modern exhibit opens next week, October 9th, at the Figgy Art Museum and will be up through the closing date of January 6th. Don't miss it or any of the associated programming. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Kell.